Hello and welcome to Renegade Mama. I am your host, Natalie Rees. Today on the show, I speak with Amana Mayfield Faulkner. Amana has really experienced a lot in this life, starting with the death of her first love in her 20s and then through to her childbearing years. She's experienced multiple miscarriages as well as the death of her daughter Hartley shortly after her birth due to a congenital condition. She's also had a beautiful home birth with her son and an amazing free birth with her daughter. Interestingly, Amana hasn't let these experiences bring her down, but rather she has seen so much light and wisdom in the journey. I also loved how she talked about parenting her invisible children who are not earthside with her, but always with her. Amana is a gentle, wise soul whose story is so important to be heard. Enjoy this deep, heartfelt conversation. Welcome, Amana, to the Renegade Mama. It's wonderful to have you here. Wonderful to be here. I've been a huge fan your whole lifetime of your podcasting, so I'm super excited to be here. Oh, you're too kind. So, Amana, what I get all my guests to do at the start, as you know, is just tell us a little bit about you, who you are, and a little bit about your family. Uh, yeah, my name's Amana. I am living in the Pacific Northwest of the United States. I have two Earthside babies and five spirit babies. I live with my husband and our two fur dogs. I make soaps and bath and body things and sell them at farmer's markets. And I am a radical keeper of both birth and death. Wonderful. Cool. Okay, well, let's start right back at the start. Tell me about your own birth. Uh, can I tell you about my maternal grandmother's birth? And Absolutely. That's even better. Yeah. Uh, so my maternal grandmother, she was born to a woman named Elsie Francis and her, so her mother was 34 years old when she birthed my grandmother and I was 34 years old when I birthed my son. Oh, wow. So I feel a connection there. And she actually, my great grandmother, Elsie, she died surrounding the birth of my grandmother. And I don't know more details than that. I don't know if she died exactly on the day or the day later, Yep. but she died. And so my grandmother was named after her, given her same name, Elsie Francis, and was her, her dad was in the military. And at that point, people didn't, you know, single men didn't raise babies, so she was shipped off to grow up with her mother's sister. Wow. And she grew up with her mother's sister. And then she gave birth to my mother was her second child and a daughter, obviously, I guess my mom mm-hmm. and her first birth had gone quickly. And so they were close to the hospital, were, had moved in to stay with her parents mm-hmm. Um, not her parents, her husband's parents. Yep. Uh, just in case the birth was quick again. And she woke up in the middle of the night and was in labor. And she gave birth to my mom on the steps inside of that home, a free oh, wow. birth, unplanned free birth, uh, to my mother. Wonderful. And I just think that is sort of magical as I look back on it. Uh yeah. And then 
I was conceived by my mom after she had two children. She was on hormonal birth control and they were not trying to have babies. My older brothers were four and five years old and I came in anyway. And I know that I was due at the beginning of December-ish. My mom doesn't remember the exact dates, but I was born November 20th. Oh, wow. That's very early. Yeah, her first two births she had done naturally. And with me, she decided she wanted to try what an epidural was like. And so she did. And she said she would do it naturally again. But with me, she had an epidural. How bizarre. So I came in a little drugged up and I'm sure was separated from her for a bit, but she nursed me and loved on me and nursed me till I was about a year old. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, Okay. So we were talking before about growing up. You said you had two brothers and then you said you had a unofficially adopted sister. Is that right? Yeah. A younger sister, Janelle. Yes. She came into our lives when I was like 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful uh, and yeah. you said you always loved kids growing up you did a lot of babysitting yes I had a next door neighbor where I was first a baby and she was 15 months younger than me and there's photographs of me like feeding her in her high chair <laughs> and I'm just you know like a year older than her so yeah mothering instinct from a very early age hey yes at the pediatrician's office I would take the little parenting magazines and read through them and I just always knew I wanted to be a mom that's so cute you said you had quite a um, conventional medical upbringing is that correct uh definitely 100 percent. yes okay yeah Uh it's always interesting how people can swing so far the other way right (laughs) Yes, yes, it is. No, I grew up, yeah, very straightforward, conventional, medical, trust the doctor, do as they say. Parents, my dad became an orthodontist, which, you know, isn't exactly the same, but it's still in that sort of sphere of giving over our authority to someone else. Yeah, yeah. So he's an orthodontist. Interesting. Yeah, because there's a lot of interesting thing about, because, um, yeah, I had all my um, teeth done at the orthodontist. <laughs> then, then, then I took all my stuff out, and now they're kind of crossing over again. Yeah, But, you know, just about breastfeeding and how important that is for the development of, of the, the palate. palate. Yeah, and yeah. I, I had to, like, um, get something to physically widen my palate because... I was never breastfed or but for a very short period um uh and you know maybe it was also I don't know genetic as well but anyway um yeah it's just so interesting how yeah there's a market such a big market for that but would there be as a big market for that if we all breastfed at babies for a certain period right absolutely yeah I know that my grandmother she did not breastfeed her babies because at the at that time they were telling women that formula was better so exactly she had four babies that she did not breastfeed yeah and Mm -hmm. how how were their teeth Uh, I don't know they're okay as far as I know but Oh, I guess my mom did have she had jaw surgery which I don't know if that was perhaps related to not yeah. being breastfed who knows yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah mm-hmm. um okay so you okay what came first so you mentioned that you had a 
the death of a partner at 25 was that the first real big death for you yes my my grandfather actually my maternal mothers like my mother's father Mm -hmm. he died on so Bjorn was the name of my first love and his birthday was November 2nd and that was and on Bjorn's last birthday my grandfather died so that was really you know his death was the first kind of closer death to me but I at that moment I knew that Bjorn was gonna die he died January 19th of that next year and so I don't feel like I really grieved him as much. I wasn't super close to him and was more focused on Bjorn's death. And that was for sure the most prominent first big death in my life. Yeah, it's a young age. So you were of the same age, 25? He was 26. Oh, he was 26. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he died in his grandparents' home with just me and his mom by his side. Wow. What uh, kind of illness did he have? He had multiple myeloma lymphoma. it's a blood type cancer yeah yeah okay so talk to me about that experience (sighs) yeah I just you know to have your love tell you you know how tell you that they are he made a choice to stop further treatment at a certain point because you know he'd had a bone marrow transplant and chemo and radiation the whole thing and just his poor body was not functioning. His quality of life wasn't what he wanted it to be. And so he decided that the next infection that came along, because he knew that there would be another one, that he wouldn't fight it. And so he made this decision and, you know, did a few different like things that he wanted to do and ate a lot of bacon and was like, might as well drink the whiskey. And, you know, it's not like he was a drunk, but was just enjoying enjoying some parts of life that sometimes we're told not to. Yeah. Uh, and then it was just sort of waiting for the time to happen. And he, his body slowly was taken over by the, by the infection. And in the early hours of the morning, he, he died. Wow. That's a, yeah, massive thing to go through at that young age. Yes, I remember just, you know, we sort of, we could we could see that it was coming because he was becoming like less conscious and just resting more and things like that. And so his mom and I stayed in the room with him and she and I switched off back and forth, sleeping right next to him and then trying to get rest in the other room, although neither of us were really sleeping and... Mm we switched back to me being next to him and I noticed that there were pauses in his breath and I called to his mom and she came and she got kind of scared and she called the hospice nurse and um, she kind of calmed her down on the phone and we watched as his breath stopped. And then, you know, there's that palpable, I don't know if you've witnessed a death before, but there's definitely like this palpable, sort of like in birth there's that same sort of it's the other side of that energy because birth and death are you know the two different ends and also sometimes in the same but yeah 
I could feel that he was gone and his body was just there. And it's so different to look at a body without a soul or spirit anymore, Mm -hmm. no longer breathing. Yeah. 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 So fascinating. So you said after that, he had said that you were a really good kind of carer or nurse to him. And that kind of inspired Mm -hmm. you maybe to go on and study nursing. Is that right? Yeah, I was sort of at a point in my life. I first got a degree in sociology, not really knowing where that was going to take me. It just enjoying the study of people and cultures. And so I sort of went that path without really thinking about what kind of jobs I could get. And he was saying, well, I think you would make a wonderful nurse. He had really had some good nurses in the hospital that he felt really nurtured by and felt that I had a similar energy and that I encouraged me to go into that field. Yeah, and I think that's really important. I think that's why a lot of people go into nursing, not realizing how medicalized it's going to end up being. Absolutely, yes. You know, they want to be that nurturer, that carer. Um, And how important is that energy, even if it is in a medical world? That's true. It is important. And then, uh, but I feel the medical system is broken at this point. And, you know, I guess some would say it's working as it was meant to work, which I also can see that, but it's not a system that I would like to be a part of anymore. No, no, I can totally see that and totally agree personally with that. Um, Okay, so you went and did your training to be a nurse. Mm -hmm. And um, you started working as a nurse, yeah? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when I was in nursing school, I started attending births as a birth assistant. Yeah, I was going to mention this, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. No, go for it. Yeah, I moved to a different town. When I moved to the town, I saw this little sign on the main street that there was a birthing center. And then it happened that one of the girls in my nursing school was also a birth assistant with a midwife. And I was like, how do I get in doing that? Because I'd wanted to attend births forever. So that's really cool. So what, you just went to that birthing center, did you say? Uh, well, I spoke to the girl who was also an assistant there and said, can you, you know, what do I need to do to get a job there? And so she helped connect me to the midwives and applied for the position and got my, you know, neonatal resuscitation certification and started training. It's really interesting. Again, in America, birthing centers don't really exist here. Like they do in America, like in Australia that they are here but they're mm-hmm. always connected to the government hospitals. Oh, okay. Yeah, this was a freestanding space. Yeah, and it's starting to happen, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, there is talk of one here in Perth, an independent standing one happening, but, um, yeah, there are very few and far between. But it seems in America they're somewhat common to be freestanding, yeah? Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, I've witnessed a few where I am there's one also here where I live now a freestanding birth center Mm -hmm. yeah cool okay so um how was your experience in those first births attending them were they quite medicalized or um were they just were you just so excited because you were finally attending births (laughs) Uh, well, I was so excited and the first birth that I witnessed, I, she was, I think it was her third or fourth baby. And we, she like came into the birthing center and I walked into the room and she was on all fours and 
her she still had like her skirt on and because she had like just come into the birth center but baby was coming so just you know moments after she got there this little boy's head emerged and he started crying before his body was birthed and then his body was birthed and as um someone was helping baby get to her chest and he started peeing and it was just like oh so it was very just you know unhindered birth no no one else was in there touching baby or listening or all the things it was very um just straight birth how amazing that's so cool to be able to see that kind of birth for your first birthday Mm -hmm. yes yeah yeah and you know some of the other ones I witnessed after that you know there was more like listening to fetal heart tones and things like that I remember Pitocin being given a couple times after baby was born but most of the time that was withheld for you know if there was bleeding or whatnot yeah okay Mm -hmm. Um, so you were doing that kind of all throughout your nursing career till today, right? Yeah, I haven't attended a birth with a midwife in a while. And those midwives, I don't attend births with anymore, but there is one midwife that I, sometimes she calls me to be with her at a birth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do you ever independently attend a birth, like a free birth, for example? I I would independently attend free birth, but I have not. Okay. At this time. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So let's get into, you were nursing right up until when? Just fairly recently in the past few years. Is that right? Uh, Yeah. When my daughter was born, I, I was still working as a registered nurse. And after she was born, I did not go back. Yeah. You said goodbye to that. That's kind of like yeah. Ash, my friend who I had on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Ago. Yeah. She was an ED nurse as well. Right. Yeah. 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 She's like, just does not align with me anymore. I'm not going back to that. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So let's talk about meeting your partner. When did you meet your husband? I met him in, on the summer solstice of 2014. Okay. Yeah. I, I'll try to make a Cliff Notes version of that story, but I, um, you know, I was 31 years old at the time and had always wanted babies and was like, what's going on universe? Like why, you know, it's not happening. And so I sort of had this moment with the universe and said, you know, I can be okay, not being a mom myself. That's okay. But if, my soul flame is out there. If my spirit babies are out there, like, please bring them to me. And I created, created an intentional altar and I did a 40 day ritual and asked universe to help me find him. And at this festival, this little butterfly flew in front of my face and led me to him. And he proposed two weeks after we met and we got married a few months after we met. And yeah, so that's crazy. It was definitely, uh, you know, during the ritual, I said, please help us to know each other without a shadow of a doubt from the very moment that we meet that we are each other's soul flames. And it definitely felt that. Wow. Amazing. Um, that's a pretty cool story. <laughs> um, okay. So you got together fairly fast. You're married. Yeah. Um, yes. yes. Tell me then you decided to have children. Is that right? 
Yeah. So even the, in the first moments of meeting each other, we like the first questions we asked were, are you married? No. Do you have kids? No. Do you want kids? Yes. <laughs> we sat down together and that was like it. Like, no, like, do you have a job? Where do you live? Like none of those questions, like just straight to the, do you have kids? Do you want kids? Are you married? Yeah. Yep. To the important things. <laughs> yes. And it was even before we wed, you know, we wed after we were together for like three months. And before that, even we had been talking about like, because we were both, you know, in our 30s and wanting to have kids. Both of us had dreamt of having kids in our 20s and it just didn't happen for us. So we were raring to go. And we did a little ceremony down by the river and put a blanket along the riverside and made love there the first time under the moonlight. Oh, just wow. opening the door to our spirit babies. Wow. And um, okay, so talk about when you conceived your first babe. Mm-hmm. I conceived my first baby shortly after we wed mm-hmm. and was, you know, just so excited to be pregnant. It was the thing that I've had witnessed other women experience and was so excited to experience the same. Mm-hmm. And then at six weeks, I had an early loss, early birth at six weeks. And that was just like, oh, this one thing that I've wanted to do my whole life and now I'm bleeding and I'm not doing it right. Or, you know, all these different narratives that went through my mind. Mm-hmm. And how did it affect your husband as well? Um, yeah, for him, it was, you know, he wasn't as connected to the experience as I was. And we had only known each other a few months. And so <sighs> me having this strong like grief reaction was he was as nurturing as he could be but also didn't understand Mm. um I was lucky enough to have some beautiful sister soul sisters that helped support me through that time yeah yeah Yeah. beautiful and then you fell pregnant again how long after I had my early birth in October and I conceived again around New Year's okay so fairly soon after Mm-hmm. And okay. it was June, like near the fall equinox. Okay. So talk to me about that um, conception and pregnancy. Yeah. So we were, again, you know, we had at that point created a little like altar welcoming in our spirit baby. And um, yeah, we're just open to conceiving and making love and just enjoying each other and having intention and conceived and I was so excited and then I started puking and puking and puking and that was really hard and I just started a new job in the emergency department at that time where like there's all sorts of different smells and things to look at and just it was a hard place to be Mm -hmm. pregnant um and I, but I just you know kept puking and puking I found a midwife that I aligned with she had a single practice I hadn't I didn't have the awareness of free birth at that time Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted a midwife and I wanted a single practice midwife where I knew which midwife would be attending the birth so I found Tammy and she was also aligned with me at the time not wanting to do any ultrasounds and she was totally fine with that and listening with the like fetoscope and she was she was just like one of these beautiful women supporting 
younger women. She's a crone now. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I started having some like right-sided pain and I didn't know what the pain was at the time. I thought maybe it was around ligament pain because I had, you know, read so much about birth. I knew that there were these possibilities. I thought it was that. And then I started having blood in my urine. And at that time I decided to seek some medical care to see what was going on. And I had a blocked right ureter. Okay. The, that's a tube between your kidney and your bladder. Mm-hmm. There's a tube that goes there and it was blocked with like a kidney stone is what some might call it. Yeah. Um, so I had a stent placed, which is basically a tube from my kidney to my bladder to keep the space open. Mm-hmm. And that was uncomfortable. And the people in the hospital were surprised that I hadn't had an ultrasound. And, you know, I sort of knew to expect that. I had also spoken to this little womb that I could feel moving. I was about six months pregnant at this time. Mm-hmm. I could feel the little one moving. And I had said, you know, if you need an ultrasound, please let me know. And at that point, sort of thought that perhaps this was this baby's way of saying, maybe you should do an ultrasound. So I chose to do an ultrasound a few days later. And during that ultrasound, we found out that our baby did not have kidneys. And that was very, felt like so potent and synchronistic that I went to the hospital with my kidneys being blocked and she didn't have kidneys. We didn't know she was a she at the time, but yeah. Uh, That shift didn't change everything of course about the experience the doctor told me that I could induce labor I said no and I'm you know left and came home and had all the primal screams and cries and uh was like universe what the hell like I thought that Bjorn's death is my big death and now this is happening and this is like what I wanted my whole life and now this baby is going to be this baby that I can feel moving inside of me is going to be born and die I just, you know, it was a lot to wrap my head around, Uh, but time keeps ticking by and I made intentional memories with this baby. We gave this baby a name, not knowing if it was a boy or a girl, we decided to call this baby Hartley and, you know, visited different people, read, read books to her, ate foods and was like, this is what a blueberry tastes like. And, you know, if I was looking at a dragonfly, I would say, oh, there's a dragonfly in front of me. Do you feel that energy that I have from the dragonfly? And, you know, just connect her to the life around me the best that I could and experience life with her. Mm-hmm. Um, so from research after that point and speaking to people, I knew that she could be born early, that that was a thing. Mm-hmm. And I continued care with the same midwife and she was just so beautifully supportive and nurturing. And she, I was having to pay out of pocket for her care, even though I worked at hospital, had insurance, they don't cover midwifery care. Yeah. And she offered her services. I stopped working. I just soaked in the time that I had with my baby and chose not to listen to heart tones or anything like that during labor, because it's also known that um, sometimes babies with it's called bilateral renal agenesis or Potter syndrome, that they can die during labor from cord compression because they don't have any amniotic fluid. 
Mm. Um, and yeah, labor, labor began when I was 36 weeks and I think five days, somewhere around there ish. Mm-hmm. And of course I didn't want labor to begin because I knew labor starting meant birth, which meant death. And I really didn't want to be the one to, like, I felt like I was going to be the one to kill her because I was going to push her out of me where she was safe inside of me. Um, I drank a glass of wine. I took a bath. Uh, this was on a Friday, no, Saturday evening, Friday evening. I don't remember now exactly, but I was in labor through that night, the full next day and into the next night. Um, mostly just my husband by my side. And then we called the midwife at some point and she came and, you know, just checked in with me, supported me in the ways that I wanted. Um, then she laid down on our bed for a little while and Owen and I just continued to labor together. And I, when I start to f- started to feel the natural urge to push, it was yeah Monday morning, like the next day. So I'd been in labor a long time. We were sort of falling asleep together between contractions at that point. And, oh, she was also breech. We knew she was going to be breech, uh, but everyone was comfortable with her birthing that way, vaginally at home or vaginally. You say it vaginally. Vaginally, vaginally, yeah. (laughs) Um, Tell me, is this common for the babies with what did you say? Potter's syndrome. Potter's. To, yeah. To be a breach or. It, it can be. I don't think it always is, yeah. but for her it was. And so yeah. in some ways I saw that as like an opportunity to get to experience this home birthing to breach baby that I might not have had otherwise. Yeah. She brought many new experiences to my life. Yeah. And as I sort of like started to feel that urge, I called out to Tammy and she came in and was there with me in that time that I wanted her to be in our space and um Hartley's little you know bum came out and then her little legs flopped out and I reached down and could feel her moving and I told my husband to reach down and feel his baby move and so he he felt her did a big kick big old kick and then um you know she was just kind of the her head was just the tip of her head. And then another push came and she was out and I, I pulled her up out of the water and she never opened her eyes. I just held her in my hands and she took a few like gasping type of breaths and then she was gone. So we held her together and Owen and I sobbed and gazed at our beautiful baby. Um, and then I birthed the placenta and we cut the cord and I kind of, you know, got cleaned up. And, um, after her soul had left her body, Owen was more uncomfortable being around, you know, her, her lifeless body, but I was in a point where I really wanted to be with her body. So I, I continued to hold her and I, you know, slept with her that night with the rest of that morning and gazed at her, took pictures of her, held her skin to skin. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. 
and we kept her for another night and then here you have to you're not allowed to transport a dead body so we had to have someone come pick her up from the house and take her to the funeral home we decided to have her cremated and began our journey mothering this invisible child of ours yeah wow yeah, there's so much around this because I don't know if you listened to my episode um, with um, Narelle about her stillbirth. You've heard that one? I'm sure that I did. It was yeah. a while ago, yeah? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, a while ago. Yeah. And she had her baby directly taken away from her. Oh, yes. Mm. That was so heartbreaking. Yes, yeah. I remember hearing that. So it's beautiful to hear your story where you kept her for a, f- a few days or day and night. Like, a, yeah, she was born at 1.31 a.m. on August 31st, and we kept her until September 2nd in the morning. So, yeah, yeah, like yeah. two nights and a full day. Yeah. Do you think that process was helpful to you to be able to keep her like that? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. To get to look at her and hold her and have a few close family and friends be open to coming and witnessing her. And I gave her a bath. I was just thinking the other day about if that bath could speak like the stories it has to share. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and she was born in our living room here at home and that's where you know, my daughter, Charlotte was later born in that same space. So, Mm. yeah. How do you feel about that scan? Because there's two sides to that, isn't there? Absolutely. Because then you had to live out the rest of that pregnancy, knowing that once she was born, Mm -hmm. she most likely wouldn't live. But then the flip side of that was that you had time to prepare And then, you know, if you didn't know, she would be born and die. And that would be shocking too. So, you know, how do you you feel? What would you do if you had your time again? Or what did you learn from this, I guess? Yeah, I mean, for me, I feel like I was grateful that we had the ultrasound. I was, you know, in some ways grateful that I had the kidney stone that led me to the ultrasound. Mm. Because if I... If we hadn't had that, I would have, you know, continued on and this midwife would have been comfortable with me birthing a few days before 37 weeks and would have had, she would have been born. And when she wasn't breathing, we, I certainly would have been trying to resuscitate her and doing things that might've been painful to her. Mm. And I am grateful that that's not how the few moments of her life were, that I was able to just hold her and love on her in those few moments that she was alive outside of my womb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also not to mention what cascade of intervention may have happened in that the midwife may have called the ambulance, the police, uh, with Norelles they called the police, Um, like all that kind of thing so it was kind of a blessing yeah. that it gave you that space mm-hmm. around her birth yes and like you said knowing that that was going to happen was in some ways you know it was hard but also I think I was grateful to I'm grateful that I did know and that I wasn't able I was able to make those intentional memories with her 
and hold that those months that I had left with her in uh, an even more sacred way, knowing, knowing that I wasn't going to get time with her outside of my womb, that this was our time to be together. Yeah. Was there any instinct once she was birthed, even though you knew that she was going to pass away to try and resuscitate her? I, I didn't. I wondered if I might. Yeah. Um, but in the moments I didn't, I sometimes wonder if she had appeared more full of life that maybe I would have tried to hold on to that for moments. Mm-hmm. But because she never even opened her eyes, I, I accepted what was in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so big. Wow. Okay, so you came out of this experience. Talk to me about things like just practical things about did your milk come in or anything like that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I had actually um, breastfeeding was one of those other things I was so excited to do and always had also wondered, like, had known the story of some women not being able to nurse their babies. And so, and I had spoken to my breast during this pregnancy before I knew about like, let's make lots of wonderful milk for, you know, the baby. And, um, my milk did come in and I chose to pump and donate my milk Mm -hmm. for me, pumping the milk and seeing that I was producing milk was in some ways, Uh, helpful to me to know that when I had my next baby that I would be able to nourish them with my body yeah and also Mm. that you were giving life to other babies by donating that milk yeah 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 beautiful okay and then how did you did you eventually stop donating at some point how long after Mm -hmm. it was like I think a month and a half I don't remember exactly at this point but then it eventually it sort of became a Thing that was then like reminding me and you know having to do the pump like the pump really isn't that fun or comfortable or you know yeah so yeah, yeah. and how was the postpartum recovery from that I mean there's just so much to it right? uh, yeah I mean there's so much there it was very just so hard because again it was that palpable like loss of spirit and soul like because her presence was felt when she was within me and then her spirit was gone. I mean, like I felt her present in a different way, but not the same way as when she was alive inside of me. Yeah. And, you know, witnessing other people with babies, like I didn't had trouble going out into public and, um, yeah, it was just very hard. Yes. You mentioned before, um, about parenting, your invisible child talk to me about that yeah so I just this is a term that actually one of my um sister friends that I've met since who she had her daughter die poppy and she used this way of speaking about it having an invisible child and it just it really rang true to me that I'm it's not like I'll ever stop mothering her just my mothering looks different than it does to my children who are living Mm. and so I still communicate to her and speak to her and you know she will always be one of my babies and just because she's invisible to the outside world 
doesn't mean that she's not visible and true to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What um, did Hartley's birth teach you? Um, she taught me that I can do, I can do hard things. She taught me that I could, she showed me that I could birth my babies at home, even a breech baby at home. Yeah. And, you know, she, she helped show me that I had milk. She, you know, I, I had witnessed many, many, I never counted how many births I witnessed, but I'd witnessed many, but it's definitely you. It's one of those things that you can't fully prepare any woman for because it's your own personal experience and each birth is unique and the same at the same time you know so Mm -hmm. it helped me to know that I could do it yeah how did you cope in that birth emotionally during labor I is that what you mean Mm. yeah I Yes, I had, like I said, there were parts of me that didn't want it to happen. So yeah. there's parts of me that were definitely emotionally struggling with the fact that I kept having contractions and I didn't want them to keep coming on and I wanted labor to stop and I wanted her to stay in there. So there was that, but uh, I don't remember. I was just sort of in the zone at a certain point, you know, labor took over and my body was, I was experiencing it with her and just allowed it to be what it was I guess mm-hmm. that answers your question I don't know I sort of yeah. got lost yeah, yeah yeah okay so talk to me about the period between Hartley's birth and then deciding to try again um yeah so after Hartley was born you know, I was definitely in deep grief for a long period of time there. And it felt good to connect to other moms who had walked the path before me. Mm-hmm. Um, and to remember her in different ways and wore a necklace with her ashes everywhere and just was connected to her and knew that we wanted to have more babies. We did decide to each Owen and myself get checked to make sure that we had both of our kidneys. Yeah just to know whether or not it was likely that we would have another baby without kidneys. Mm -hmm. And we both had our kidneys. So we were like, okay, let's continue onward. And so um, each month that I didn't conceive, it was very sad for me and hard for me because I, there was this part of me that just wanted to fill the space, but I think my body knew better and my womb waited. And then we did conceive again hmm and that was awesome and also a little like is it gonna happen again I was still worried that it might happen again and so although I hadn't chosen an ultrasound with our first baby I did decide to have one with him just to make sure that he had all of his parts and had his kidneys yeah mm-hmm. and did you get that fairly early on at 16 weeks yeah okay yeah um okay so talk to me about this pregnancy this pregnancy I was I felt pretty good and I was you know so worried in the beginning but then happy to know that he didn't have kidneys but all or that he did have kidneys I didn't know he was a he 
but had also connected with this community of moms who had babies with all their parts and, you know, nothing medically concerning and yet their babies died too. So I also acknowledged the fact that just because this baby has all of their parts that are known, it doesn't mean that this baby will survive either. Yeah. And held space for that and reckoned with that and just hoped that this baby would survive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It didn't, at any point, the experience with Hartley's birth and death make you think, oh, I want to go more medical route next time? Um, other than wanting the ultrasound, I mean, that for me was more medical than yeah. the first pregnancy. So it didn't, it did bring me to doing an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. um, but other than that, I still wanted to have a home birth and yeah. Yeah. Well, that kind Still of didn't want to yeah. do yeah. vaccines or other things like that. And yeah. yeah. Do you know why she didn't have kidneys? Have you ever kind of had that answer come to you or not really? No, I mean, just other than, I don't know that I could say I have had an answer with it, just, uh, and acceptance that yeah, that yeah. you know was who she was and her body was never intended to live outside my womb and she was here with me for other reasons exactly that have led yeah. me here to this conversation with you today so absolutely know. yeah 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 I probably said this before but um I was speaking to somebody a while back who had a stillbirth and everybody says to them sorry for your loss and she said well it wasn't a loss it was such a blessing to have this baby it wasn't I didn't lose her she gave me so much and I think that's a really beautiful way of looking at it it's not like they're just gone <laughs> there's always with you yes exactly um okay uh in this pregnancy, did you, you didn't have any morning sickness? Is that what you said? Yeah, no, with him, I wasn't sick all the time. I, you know, threw up once, but I think I had some sort of a bug at that point. And yeah. otherwise felt pretty good. And yeah, it just, so it was a pretty smooth pregnancy, would you say? Or Definitely. Yeah. And there yeah. was that obviously that worry there, but I mean, you were... I guess you just sat with that. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't, yeah, it didn't necessarily go away for me. It just, it stayed, you know, in the bus, but I didn't let it drive. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then talk about going to labor with him. How many weeks were you? I was 40 weeks. Yeah. I, he was due on December 29th and I had a midwife appointment that day and you know he was looking good and when well, I mean not looking good just you know hung out yeah. with the midwife and she was like go home relax I'm like okay so I did and um snuggled with my husband and I was having trouble going to sleep he went upstairs to bed and I decided to watch a documentary on psychedelics <laughs> for whatever reason that like piqued my interest late at night because I couldn't sleep. And then I sort of dozed off and woke up um, in the wee hours of the morning to some contractions. 
Mm -hmm. I went upstairs and tried to sort of lay down and go to bed and I was like, no, this isn't happening. So got out of bed, went out into the living room and just labored for a while by myself in the dark. I started making bread. I love making bread. And so I'd wanted to see if I could have bread baked by the time the midwives arrived. So I got it right doing its first rise by the fireplace and then I, around five something in the morning, decided to text my husband and just say, you know, if you wake up, don't just like stay in bed. Like I'm out here in labor. And so when you wake up, just come out and be with me. Yeah. And apparently he normally has his ringer off because I hate when he has his ringer on in the bedroom. I'm just like my least favorite thing. And apparently his phone chimed. He accidentally did have it on. So he like jumped up to his phone to be like, sorry, wife. And then he saw that I wasn't in bed and he read the, read the message and came running out. and was like, oh, it's time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, okay. And uh, then basically as soon as he came out, things started to pick up a little bit. He asked if he could jump in the shower. And I said, yeah, I'll make you eggs on toast. So I made him some eggs. And- you made him eggs in life. <laughs> I was feeling all right. Uh, yeah. And, but then when he, when he was in like nearing the end of a shower, I was like, oh no, like contractions are like getting stronger. I want to get in the shower and see if that would help me feel better. So I got in the shower. I had a little to-do list for him for when I was in labor, like, you know, clean the toilet again in case I puke in it and like vacuum and do a few things for me. So he started on the list, blow up the birth pool, things like that. Um, but I was in the shower and contractions just like kept coming, but they were irregular, but getting stronger. The shower did not help. So I decided to plug the bath up and see if that would help and started a bath for myself. He was still trying to get the birth tub all ready. And I started calling him back into the bathroom because then I started wanting him to be with me during contractions. And he was like, should we call him the, the midwife? So we called the midwife let her know. And, um, I told him to abandon the birth tub because I could feel that things were happening. And then I had a big contraction and my water broke and he was like, what's that? And I was like, it's okay. My water just broke, but he saw like a little blood and it concerned him for a moment. I told him to forget about it. And the, I started, you know, having pushing contractions, the midwife walked in And she set down her stuff, looked down and was like, oh, yes, I can see, you know, his little head starting to crown. We didn't know it was a he, but like baby's head starting to crown. And he was born seven minutes after she arrived. Wow. He had his little hand over his face, which we think is probably why the contractions were irregular, but it didn't slow him down. He came bursting right out. Wow. he screamed right away, which is one of the things that I had said, baby, please like cry right away. Cause I've been to births where that happens and also where there's a pause and both things are normal and natural. But I was really after Hartley's birth, I really was hoping that this baby would scream life right away. And he did. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, Did you have any tearing or anything? I did. I did. That hand. hand. Yep. I had a decent sized tear there and Um, His umbilical cord was quite short, which now I feel like is like part of him and who he is like the short cord. He's closer to wants to stay closer and more connected. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cute. 
Um, and then the placenta, how was that? Yeah, I birthed the placenta while I was just still in the bath and placenta was born and had it in a bowl next to me. And mm-hmm. uh, after a while, we decided to, we were ready to cut the cord and cut the cord and crawled into bed with my little man. Wow. How was that for you? Obviously with Hartley's experience, you must have just been savoring having this beautiful breathing baby. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I was kind of, I feel like I was a bit stunned. Like I felt like I was a little more present with Hartley's birth as it was longer. And his birth was like five hours or something like that. Yeah, pretty and and so for me, that felt fast. I think I was a little like out of body when he was born ish. And it took me a little time to sort of come back into knowing and experiencing more fully. But I was, yes, yeah, so grateful that he was alive. I did have some like anxiety still over him, like wanting like, he was right close with me and I was making sure he was breathing and, you know, yeah. 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 I even had that with my first. I couldn't go to sleep. I was like, what happens if he stops breathing? <laughs> Gotta watch him. Gotta stay awake. (laughs) Right? Uh, Yeah. And he was yeah, but I yeah, I'd had those feelings too. And so I can relate to that. Yeah. And breastfeeding, was that okay? He was an amazing little breastfeeder from the beginning. Loved, loved nursing and was just right onto it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so no trouble. No trouble. And yeah, he still nurses sometimes now at four yeah. years old. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was or I shouldn't say still. He does nurse at four years old because I'm trying to shift my language around that of being like saying still makes it feel like he shouldn't be or something when it's yeah he's nursing now. And it's yeah. lovely. Yeah. I think that's interesting because yeah, similar to me, my son, yeah, fed maybe a little bit till he was four and I I have trouble admitting that (laughs) because of yeah the judgment around that and also I was quite over it um by that time because I had another one Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's interesting isn't it (laughs) yeah yeah and the way that we speak our stories and share them and how that changes over time Mm -hmm. yeah yeah because I I never kind of say I tanned and fed my kids, but I did. It's kind of this weird thing that I feel, I don't know, shameful about. Or I don't know. Yeah, it's mm. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yes. And then other people are so proud of tandem feeding their kids. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's because I feel like I wasn't properly feeding him. I wasn't feeding him on demand. It was just like sometimes. Yeah. So I feel like I can't really claim tandem feeding. <laughs> Well, I would say that's by whose perspective and definition. I would say that you tandem fed, but yeah, yeah. if you don't identify with that, that's okay too. You know? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so how was early mothering of him? It was intense. He was a baby who was wanted to be attached to the breast all night long. Yeah, and yeah. I would get like 30 or 40 minutes uh, with my nipple out of his mouth and then he wanted it in again yeah so my shoulders and hips and everything hurt I slept in bed with him and I was pretty sleep deprived for it was about a year that he really needed intense mothering 
right with him. I think that maybe that was partly my energy too. I don't really, you know, it's hard to say at this point, you're so, I was so enmeshed in that. Um, but it was beautiful and intense. Yeah. 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 I feel and, that. Were you looked after well in your postpartum period? I think I wasn't fully prepared for what that would be like. I, I did have nurturing people and had support, but um, I still would have wanted more. Yeah. 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 You realize with every baby, like, oh, yes, I could have set this up a little better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. So with Charlotte, I was ready to. And then Corona happened. So oh, that yeah. didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. And so in between, it's Odin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Odin is your son. Odin mm-hmm. and Charlotte, there were an- another loss, two. Yeah, I had a couple losses in between two other yeah. losses, mm-hmm. yeah. two other early births. Okay, so tell me um, how soon after his birth did you fall pregnant? Um, I was, I unexpectedly became pregnant um, when he was a little over a year old. Okay. I think it was in February. Mm-hmm. It must have been in February. And that baby's due date was my exact birthday, November 20th, which felt like super like magical. I was like, oh my gosh, this baby is due on my birthday. And we weren't like trying to conceive this baby, just like I wasn't, my parents weren't trying to conceive me. And so I felt that was pretty magical. (laughs) And then that baby, when did they carry to? Yeah. So with her, I was, and with her at that point, I had heard of what free birth was. And I was like, Ooh, like that's what I'm going to do this time. Mm -hmm. And I also, so I guess I didn't go into this, but with, you know, I'd had a girl had Hartley. And so with Odin's birth, I, for whatever reason was feeling like this baby was going to be a girl. And so when he was a son, there was, I love my son and I'm so grateful he's here. And I had a little bit of mourning over him being a boy Mm. and also knew that when I was pregnant again, that it might, I might have another son and that I might not ever have a daughter and accepting that. So um, for me, I wanted to know if that baby was a boy or a girl before they were born, Mm -hmm. because I sort of went through that like odd grieving after he was born. Yeah. And so I decided to do the maternal blood test that you can do at 10 weeks. Mm -hmm. I opted into that and then wasn't going to do care after that. But um, I started bleeding my 11th week of pregnancy. Okay. And then it was after I started bleeding that we got the blood results back that she was a girl. And then I named her Nyla Rose and... We buried some of her with rose bushes and we bought a plum tree and buried some of her there as well. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Okay, and then you fell pregnant with twins, am I correct? Yes. Wow, so many. (laughs) Yeah, after Nyla's birth, then after Nyla's birth, I had this like, 
awareness around progesterone and worry that maybe, maybe that's the reason why. And I was so desperate to have another baby. I was yeah. worried about my progesterone. So, um, do I decided think, to have, sorry, mm-hmm. I was just going to ask, yeah. do you think it was to do with breastfeeding? Because are you, your levels lower? I was still breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, I know a lot of people say, oh no, that's not true. But then if you're breastfeeding a lot, why not? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Because your hormone level and your body's just saying to you, no, it's not time because you're still having to breastfeed this other baby so much. Uh, Yes. Reflecting. I can feel that I reflecting, even though I'd wanted children close together, um, I can reflect now and see that my son wasn't really ready for another baby either. He needed more one-on-one time with mama too. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like I could, like I said to you before we started recording, I couldn't have babies that close together. I just, because of the way that I parent and the mm-hmm. way that I breastfeed, it just mm-hmm. wouldn't practically be possible for me. Yeah. So yeah, if she had been born, I would have had two under two. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a lot on him as well, you know. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, um, you know, like you will have to wean him at some, not wean, but your milk will generally stop um, in that pregnancy. Yeah. So there will be a period yeah. where he wouldn't be feeding. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so then after that experience with Nyla, I was worried about progesterone. And so when I got pregnant again, I asked to have my labs drawn, which just went, I like got a written order from a midwife and went and had labs drawn at when I wanted them. Mm -hmm. And it showed that my HCG or what do you call it? Yeah. 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 was declining and so then I was like oh no like it's happening again and so I went ahead and I asked for an ultrasound to see what was going on and it turned out that there were two fertilized eggs in my womb and so they said well you know it's too early to really know it was in like the fifth or sixth week so well I was not very far along and they said that sometimes you know one embryo will one baby will die and the other one will continue to survive. So there's a chance you might still be pregnant with a baby. But um, I had an ultrasound a week later and the same, they were the same size and they weren't, hadn't grown anymore. And I experienced another early birth. Wow. How were those early births for you? Oh, just devastating yeah yeah and of course you know like after Hartley's experience I had people telling me you know you won't have another loss Mm. you know and then I had one and then they're like well no not again you know and I always hated when people told me that because I'm like you have you cannot say that you're not you just have you can't know that and that's it's possible that I will have more and you know I had people say that they would never get pregnant again if they had those experiences but I I knew I had this other soul baby and I was willing to I wanted to experience more pregnancies even if though I was not ready to throw in the towel however you want to say it yeah so yeah 
Um, and so when you fell pregnant with Charlotte, it's a little while after again, yeah? Yeah, a little while after again. I conceived her near the summer solstice and she was due near the spring equinox, which I felt was really beautiful because those are sacred, you know, times for me. I met Owen on the summer solstice and yeah, I was super excited. And then like to find out that I was pregnant, so excited. And then I started puking and puking and puking and puking. And it was really hard. Like I was puking so often, like I would roll over. If I rolled over in bed, I would have to go puke. If I had to get up to pee, I would then he at least heave, um, you know, at work. I was, I carried around these little bags and would like puke in the stairwells and all, all day long. It was really intense. Um, so I asked you before what you thought that was about, and I was going to say Karis, I don't know if you've listened to her podcast, but she, maybe not it's released next week, but her previous one, <laughs> I think she mentioned it as well, um, that she had this morning sickness because people say, oh, if you have morning sickness, it means that the HCG pregnancy hormone is really high and she said she wondered if she was kind of like bringing on to confirm that she really was pregnant she wasn't going to lose this baby what do you think about that oh interesting you know I I don't know from my own experience yeah I did have like the HCGs again because I was feeling nervous about it and my HCG went down and yet I and I chose to do an ultrasound to make sure I was like shh is that happening again? Like, is this really like my path in life? Another baby dying? But she was like, Hey, I'm here. I'm fine. And I was like, okay. So I didn't do another HTG after that. I was just like, I'm just, why did I do that? Like I had some, you know, but I, in the moment I let fear lead the way and I chose to do the ultrasound and it did make me feel better to see that she was alive. And it helped me to feel more confident and just move forward without any more ultrasound yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so you had decided from the start of this pregnancy you were going to have a free birth because you already decided Mm -hmm. that previously with Mm -hmm. Nyla's pregnancy yeah 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 um and was that a big thing for you to decide to free birth or it felt pretty um a little bit like you know I was I knew I wanted to do it, but there was also the navigating of like, will my partner and husband be comfortable with that as well? Because he felt some comfort having the medical professionals there, having the midwife present did Mm -hmm. help him to feel comfortable in certain ways. So it brought about, you know, conversations with people. And also like my previous midwife is also my dear friend. And she, if I wanted a midwife there, she is the woman that I would want there. Like, Mm -hmm. So, and she's my neighbor. And so I did also have a conversation with her and she was really beautiful and wonderful about it. And, you know, also was happy to do like the birth certificate stuff that can be sort of a challenge. She was like, yeah, I'll do that for you. And that was really wonderful. And when I brought it up to my husband, he was a little bit nervous at first, but we just continued to have a conversation about it. And he was like, yeah, you know, you're right. I mean, with our son, like we could have done that without a midwife and it would have been fine. And so, uh, he was able to be okay with it. I didn't tell many other people though. Like 
I didn't tell my people at work because my people at work were even like me having home birth was like with a midwife was like a big leap for them. Yeah. I didn't tell my parents, didn't tell my siblings. Yeah. I just, you know, they assumed that I was going to have midwife there and I just didn't let them assume that. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So I've watched your birth video, but let's talk about the birth. Is there anything else you want to talk about in the pregnancy? Uh, no, just, I mean, yeah, the puking, puking, puking. I, because her, the vomiting was so kind of similar to Hartley's pregnancy. I had moments where I was, you know, like, oh, it was just, it was a really hard pregnancy. I was so excited because I also did the blood test for her mm-hmm. to know if she was a boy or a girl and found out that she was a girl was super like, oh yes. And I'm carrying my like grandbaby eggs in my womb and feeling that connection and just, uh, but then at the same time, because the puking was so similar, I was like, are you, you know, do you have, are you, do you not have kidneys as well? Mm. But I just, you know, accepted that that was a possibility and chose not to find out whether or not that was true mm-hmm. and trusted that it wasn't trusted that she would be born and healthy and live on longer than me and um, just continued forward. I was definitely depressed in her pregnancy with the nausea because it was just so all consuming to be like puking all the time. I couldn't make plans or be with people and see people. And it was, it was just rough and I couldn't be the mom that I had been to my son. So I felt some like sense of sadness for him because I just wanted to like lay around and not move. I wasn't like running around and playing with him and doing things. I just wanted to stay home and not do things. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, Okay. Let's go to the birth. It was quite, a late birth for you right like 41 41 weeks and a couple days yeah. yeah yeah so she was due on March 16th of 2020 so I like left my job like near her a couple days before her due date or like the week before her due date and I was sort of because I'd had hardly it you know close to 37 weeks and then Odin was born at 40 weeks I didn't anticipate I would birth later than that but And I was okay with that at around 35 weeks. I started puking. I stopped puking as much. It would be like once a day, not like 10 times a day as it had been. Crazy. So I was grateful for that respite at the end of pregnancy and able to enjoy her pregnancy in a different way than I had been. And, um, but then yeah, Corona COVID happened right during that time. So then there was all this like fear of the unknown and I, 40 weeks came and went and I had always anticipated she was going to be a Pisces because of where her birthday lies. And Mm -hmm. so then when I got to where that was going to shift, I sort of was like, come on, baby, like come out. And I like reached inside myself and could feel her little head and, you know, sort of didn't do like a, like stretch and sweep, but like, was like, come on. And I did have contractions after that for hours but then they went away and I was like, okay, it's your own timing. I'm not going to, you know, coax you out of here. You are who you are, which is totally her. Yeah. Yeah. And then 41 weeks, you know, came and went. And then I was just living life and enjoying the time with her and also fearful of 
Corona and hoping that I wouldn't have to transfer to the wouldn't feel the need ever to transfer to the hospital. Grateful. I was planning a home birth, went into labor in like woke up in like strong labor. Uh, I don't remember exactly what time, but, um, the early hours of the morning and right away, like never found a rhythm, like both my other labors, like I found a rhythm and a groove and was okay with it with hers. It was, I was yelling, fuck. I was just like, what the hell? Like, slow down, baby. I kept saying like, slow down, like easy and was trying different things and nothing really, really helped. So not too long after I woke up my husband and was like, you need to come like be with me during this. And so he did, he came and was with me. Uh, and we, yeah. No, I was just interested because I know with, um, Hartley's birth, you kind of maybe, I'm speaking out of turn here, but you consciously kind of slowed it down because you were scared for her to be born because you knew what would happen. Yes. But then this baby, she's just going so fast and you're like, just slow down, but you can't control it. It's just kept on yeah. going. And yeah, it's interesting. Yes, absolutely. And so when we had my, we had told my husband's parents, they were more open to us having a free birth and wild birth. And I my son, I'd been speaking to him about whether or not he wanted to be present. He said that he did want to be present. We watched different birth videos and I spoke to him a lot about it and, um, told him that it might be, you know, us waking him up in the middle of the night. And he was like, okay, yeah, wake me up. So we had my mother-in-law staying with us during that last kind of week of pregnancy. She doesn't live too far, but she was staying with us and was going to be our son's safe person in case in the moment he decided he actually didn't want to be present that she could be with him. Yeah. And I, neither of my other births had, I had like photographs or video. And for me, that was something I really wanted for this baby. At this point, I knew this was going to be my last pregnancy and birth and in labor for me, I just didn't remember all the things. So I wanted to have the video to be able to look back on and witness what that was like. Mm-hmm. So in labor, my husband asked, you know, do you want me to call our friends? And so I had asked these two dear friends, Rakana, um, who had attended births before doing birth photography. And then my dear friend, Clementine, she had never witnessed a birth, uh, but I just, her presence was so like good for my soul. Both of these women, I knew that they would hold the space for me and um, she liked doing video. And so I asked her to video it. Mm-hmm. And so my husband called them and they arrived and I was just sort of in my space. Didn't really, I, you know, felt them there and acknowledged them present, but I, they weren't, they were holding space beautifully, mm-hmm. continued to labor in the living room and I had some mirrors set up and just, I knew that that was sort of the space that I wanted to be in and the contractions just didn't, didn't stop. They kept coming, kept coming. Eventually my husband was sitting behind me, sort of leaned up against something and I was nestled in his, in his lap and she, her head started like pushing along my perineum. And I remember putting my hand down there and holding her head in for several contractions. Cause I was just not, she was just like, rah, and I was not ready for that. 
And then eventually I, you know, took my hand away and said, I know you need to come. And her little head came out and then she popped out kind of like chest high. She had the umbilical cord sort of back behind her neck. And so she wasn't birthed quite all the way. So I asked Owen to sort of help me like figure out. And so he sort of helped me hold her and I pulled the umbilical cord over her head and her little bum sort of fell out. And it was long enough that I could get her fully to my chest and she cried and we cried and I looked and made sure she was a girl and she was and mm-hmm. Odin was there and my mother-in-law was there and the two women and it was really beautiful mm, so magic mm-hmm. how was how was Odin and all of that he was fine he was totally fine he was super curious and was just like right there um I didn't have as much of an awareness that he was right there like looking back at the birth video he was like like touching my knee or something as she was emerging and my husband said like give her a little space and like he backed up because he was just like right right there like looking (laughs) cute (laughs) um and then placenta came after totally fine yeah placenta came super quick after like I don't know, minutes later, I could feel that it was ready and I had this pie dish that I wanted to birth it in. So I was holding Charlo and just sort of like squatted over the pie dish and it slipped right out. And yeah. uh, for her, I had wanted to do something different with the cord. With Odin's cord, I actually cut the cord myself. That was a thing for me with Odin's umbilical cord. I was like, Owen, I'm going to be the one to cut the cord. Like this is our bond between us mm. and I'm going to cut it. So I cut Odin and mine's cord I've never thought of that that's a great idea it's always such a weird thing that someone else does that right yeah and they hand it mostly to the husband and it's like it's like why yeah yeah, yeah maybe I, if I have another one I'll do it myself <laughs> <laughs> yes and with her I had wanted to do a cord burning ceremony I had felt called to do that with her and so I bought four long beeswax candles and created this little barrier for her. And I asked um, my mother-in-law and Clementine and Rakana if they could hold the candles with me. And so the four of us held the candles together and I sang the song, like we all come from the goddess. Do you know that one? Yeah. I don't know if I do, but yes, I think I do. I think I know the one, yeah. Yeah. So we sang that and burned her cord and separated and it felt beautiful to do that with these other wonderful, incredible women. Just, yeah. Oh, how beautiful. Mm -hmm. So nice. Um, There's so much I want to ask you, but we're going to have to finish up. Um, (laughs) uh, Breastfeeding easy. Breastfeeding again, yeah, simple, easy. And Odin was happy because the milk, more milk came back. Yeah. And And that was great because with him, I had some engorgement actually. So it was nice because I could be like, oh, can you help mom out and take some milk off here? And yeah, that was lovely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, gorgeous. Um, Okay, we're going to have to wrap up soon. But is there anything else you want to say about her birth? I just, reflecting back, I just feel like it speaks to her personality. She's like this bold, just like going for it personality. And 
that was like her from this birth. And even in the pregnancy, like she was this like presence and I was vomiting all the time and, you know, so it just feels like so connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting girls and boys, like the energy of parenting them. And I don't know, it's individual obviously, but Mm -hmm. it's just, I felt like I wasn't ready to have a girl until I, I had my daughter because it's so much stuff that I've had to confront as a woman myself and the feminine yes. side of me. <laughs> Do you feel yeah. that? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And her yeah, umbilical cord was longer. She's much more like misindependent than my son is. And yeah. Yeah. The hardest part about her postpartum was just that COVID was happening. Mm -hmm. So I didn't have like my mom was going to come stay with me. That didn't happen. You know, like I just didn't have the in-person support that I was hoping for and planning for because. Yeah. What a bummer. What a bummer. Mm -hmm. What your mom didn't want to. She was, she was fearful at the time. Yeah. She wasn't comfortable coming. Mm -hmm. What a shit. Like, I mean, it's so ridiculous, this whole thing, obviously. But it's just like, you know how they're like, only like, you can only go see, I don't know, vulnerable people or whatever. It's like a woman giving birth is vulnerable. Like she needs help to be looked after. That should be the big exception to the rule. Yes, absolutely. Not that we have to follow any rules, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you wish that that was sort of the common thing to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, Amana, thank you so much for your um, time today. Just so many amazing, beautiful stories and so many lessons um, for us all to sit with. It's been really beautiful chatting. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for creating this amazing space and podcast. I absolutely love and adore it. And I'm grateful for all that you are bringing to this world. Oh, you're too sweet. Thanks, Amana. Thanks for listening to The Renegade Mama. If you would like to connect with me, submit a birth story, or just find out a little more about what I do, check out my website at therenegademama.co. Or you can connect with me on Facebook as The Renegade Mama or Instagram as the underscore renegade underscore mama. Lastly, can I ask you share this episode with at least one other person? I want every woman to know it's possible to birth in her power. So please share far and wide. Until next week, remember to follow your intuition, not the institution. We are sovereign. We are free. If you like the Renegade Mama podcast, then leave a review. You can do so on iTunes or our Facebook page. The Renegade Mama is released weekly on both Apple iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you get your podcasts.